So tonight I thought I would begin, well, we'll turn into a, a series uh, on a quality of the path that's uh, talked about sometimes, but I feel like not emphasized very often, and that is joy, the quality of joy. So first just consider um, what you feel when I say the word joy, you know, what is that association for you? And I know that there can be a range, and for some people, joy um, feels like the very essence of the path and what they're aiming for, to have a a joyful life, or maybe bliss, or um, a situation in practice where everything is pleasant. I'm extremizing a little bit, but... Sometimes we can um, can have that association, so we see meditation or spiritual practice as a way toward ongoing joy. Or other people actually have a somewhat uh, negative response to the word joy, and they feel like, well, you know, joy's okay, but it's a little fluffy, and um, maybe there's a little bit of denial if you're talking about joy because there's a lot of problems in the world and so joy is maybe something a bit surface letter level or a bit lightweight. And so all these are interesting responses. It's not, um, none of them are right or wrong necessarily. But I would like to suggest that um, whatever your response to the idea of joy is that um, you're open to the possibility that joy does actually have significant depth to it. It's not lightweight. And um, neither is it solely concerned with bliss and ease, though. I think real joy includes an understanding of the suffering in the world, you know, and somehow has dealt with that or managed that in some way, such that there can be a meeting of the world with joy and happiness. It's actually a beautiful quality of the heart, joy. Um, And I want to explore in this several talks different aspects or facets or types of joy that come. One of them is uh, what's called mudita, or sympathetic or empathetic or appreciative joy, which is essentially joy at the happiness of others. So when others are successful or happy, we also feel happy. And that's actually going to be the focus for tonight. But I'll I'll mention some of the others, which are that um, there's also a quality called piti, or meditative joy. And this is the really deep feeling of well-being that can come through meditation. And it's one of the great side benefits of having a meditation practice is to start to feel some of the real ease and indeed bliss that can come from meditation itself. And then, you know, this, this other kind I want to talk about maybe doesn't have just one name, but there can be a real joy associated with having a path of practice. And just with knowing that we have a way to meet the things that come in life. I can certainly feel that in my own life, is that when I think about how I was when I was much younger and I didn't really have a practice like this, I was in such a more dangerous position (laughs) where 
things could knock me over more easily and I didn't necessarily have the tools for handling what are really the normal ups and downs of life, um, but I didn't know that when I was much younger. And so sometimes I just feel this great gratitude <laughs> that to have found something really useful, and it's a kind of joy. And all of these, I think, combine to bring us toward what is you know, eventually called unconditioned joy. So a joy that is not dependent on things being a particular way, and that can go pretty deep. You know, what would it mean to uh, be joyful under circumstances that are very dire or very adverse? Not that that's the only response you'll have necessarily. But as an example, I think of my friend um, Victor, who died of multiple myeloma uh, a few years ago. He was so joyful during his death process, and he was a strong practitioner. And I feel like, you know, that is a joy that's not dependent on there being particular conditions, because the conditions weren't so conducive to that necessarily. He just had it anyway. It didn't matter if he was having a good day and everything felt good, or if he was having a day with terrible nausea, or if he was being hospitalized again. He had this um, lightness about him. And so I I feel like this is um, what our practice points us toward as it really matures over time. So we'll focus, you know, we'll focus today on mudita. Well, let me mention one other aspect of joy that we'll cover. I forgot it earlier, which is um, maybe related to this unconditioned, which is the value and, and the benefit of having joy even when conditions in the world are not so good. I've talked with a lot of people in the last couple of months who are very concerned about the world situation, um, the way things are evolving, about what might happen. Uh, We're already seeing things starting to happen. And so, you know, is there any, is it a betrayal to feel joyful nonetheless when we can look anywhere in the world and see uh, real problems, real difficulties? And we know that you know, even even the scale of difficulties that we believe we're seeing here, it's a lot worse in some places. So, you know, what is what is the benefit of joy in situations of suffering? Is there any? But we'll start with um, with this quality of mudita. That's the Pali word for appreciative joy. Also, empathetic joy or altruistic joy. This is one of four uh, beautiful qualities of the heart that are called the Brahma Viharas, uh, divine abodes, if you will. Um, and just, we won't talk about them, but the other three are loving kindness and compassion and equanimity. And empathetic joy is the fourth. So these are qualities of a heart that is open and mature and receptive, and these are the kind of wholesome relational qualities that we develop in our our ways of being with others. So appreciative joy basically acknowledges that we live in a world where happiness exists. It it, it does. We can listen to the news and all that, but um, we do live in a world that includes happiness. We observe others receiving things that they want, gaining praise, um, 
getting jobs, achieving goals, having success. These things happen. We know this. And one quality of a mature heart is the ability to celebrate the happiness of others. The Dalai Lama said, If I'm happy when good things happen to other people, there are billions more chances to be happy. So it really increases the possibility, essentially. <clears throat> so we'll get to you know why this may be challenging at times and what we can do to develop this quality in our hearts, because why not? It increases our, ha- our own happiness to be happy for others. For the other three of the Brahma-viharas, the loving-kindness, the compassion, and the equanimity, it is understood that we practice them first for ourselves and then are able to extend them to others. You know, you even hear this in the West, that you, in order to truly love others, we need to love ourselves first, or in order to truly have compassion, we first have to understand our own suffering and feel compassion for that. In the formal practice of Mudita, um, at least in the ancient texts, the self is not included. It's a purely relational quality. It's always feeling happiness in another. Um, But I think in the West, there can be some value in learning to practice this quality for ourselves first. Um, If there were a personal component of Mudita, I would say it would look something like gratitude. You know, it's a sense of happiness and the good things in our life. What is that called? Gratitude. <laughs> so, um, I think it's it's good to pay attention to what's going well in our life. We're so attuned to the problems, and that's probably even biologically supported. Uh, it's well known that... Um, if we don't pay attention to problems, there will be more problems. And so you can imagine, uh, I don't know if there's sort of strong scientific proof for this, but I've heard many people, including scientists, point out that we evolved from um, simpler mammals. And, you know, it's not that easy life out there, uh, trying to find things to eat and not die of cold and things like that. And so the, um, the little mammals who said, oh, I'm sure it's all fine. <laughs> I'm sure that shadow is not dangerous. I'm sure, we don't, I'm sure we've stored enough food for the winter. No problem. Um, those ones may not have passed on their genes as frequently as the ones who said, oh, no, we'd better run. <laughs> run, let's get out of here. Or that's probably a scary thing. That's probably bad for us. So we kind of got built into our brains this um, habit of looking for what's problem, looking for what's risky, looking for what might bring trouble. And we inherited that. Uh, so it's okay to look around your life and find the things that are good, that are valuable, that are uh, beneficial, and actually celebrate those in yourself. Wow, I'm grateful that... I have a good place to live where the roof doesn't leak during this big rain. Not everybody has that. Um, or, you know, I'm very grateful to have, have inside Santa Cruz or to have um, the people in my life that I have or to have 
reasonably good health right now, because that may change at any time. So gratitude. And then, um, you know, sometimes people even write down or, talk, or think of three things that they're grateful for at the end of every day. That's a simple practice that we can do before going to bed. And it's not at all, you know, sometimes we think this is selfish or self-centered. It's not at all. What it really does is it attunes the mind to being able to see things that are joyful and appreciate them. We're going against that evolutionary tendency to only focus on the problems, which is very depressing over time. So, so we start that simple. You know, we start very simple, and we can notice and appreciate things in particular that bring, I think, simple joy can be good. So, for example, um, uh, dogs. I'm thinking about dogs. <laughs> so, is there anything that doesn't excite a dog? You know, it's like they're excited to come in. They're excited to go out. They're excited to get food. Um, there's many, many things that make a dog happy. And so it can be so easy to um, feel some sort of joy in watching an animal or interacting with an animal. And cats, too. Um, watching a kitten play is so much fun. It just feels so... They're just so simple and joyful, running after a ball or chasing their tails or something. Really cute. I actually saw a study that said watching cute cat videos online is a lower stress. So, you know, why not? <laughs> uh, so, um, beginnings also often feel joyful. Um, births, are, you know, people mostly feel happy at that time. Starting a new project, launching something. It can be a, often there's a feeling of energy gathering. Now, in Buddhism, we also know that every birth leads to change and eventually to death. So, with wisdom, we may have some uh, poignancy about things beginning, because we know they're going to end also. But that does not at all mean that we can't be happy about the excitement that naturally comes at the beginning of things. Uh, that's totally fine. Um, nature is a great way to feel simple joy, going out for a walk. We're right here by the ocean, by the redwoods, so we can appreciate those, or art. Other things that are beautiful are often um, bring joy, simple joy. I once had a period where I wasn't feeling very joyful, and I put a little reminder on my door that said, Everyday Beauty. <laughs> and it reminded me that every day I should see something or hear something or appreciate something that I felt was beautiful, that I responded to as beautiful, and to really take that in. And it was supportive um, during that time. And then to make these into a practice and not just a sort of a momentary pleasure blip, um, it's important to really feel in the body uh, the feeling of joy and happiness that we experience from things so where is it in the body, for example? Is it a lightness in the heart? Is it an openness in the mind? Um, a brightness of attention? Sometimes when I'm feeling happy, I notice that the colors of things actually look brighter. Uh, and I can attune to that, to that vividness that I see. Um, does it have a temperature? Does it have a movement? You know, what, is it, really, what does it feel like physically? 
You can even take some notes on this if you want, if you like to write things down and kind of feel like, where do I experience different kinds of joy? And um, maybe it's different for sensations versus smells or colors or tastes. Hmm. So once we have a sense of that in our own being, then it can be very natural to start opening to this quality of mudita, to the joy that we feel for the happiness of others. And I'll mention first the formal practice, which is, um, like the other Brahma Viharas, there are some phrases that are said, and we think of an image, and we think of a person. The, uh, The cultivation is with relation to specific people. So um, the state, the phrases that are said, or you know, said in the mind, thought through the heart, <clears throat> are traditionally said to be, "May your happiness not diminish; may it increase." Well, that's one. Or you could say, "May your happiness and good fortune not leave you." And these kinds of simple phrases. And if you want, you can. If those start to get cumbersome, you can invent your own that are shorter. Sometimes what I do is just focus on the key words. So I might say, happiness increasing, or um, happiness and good fortune, something like that. Just this sense of having it present in the mind. And the people that we focus on as we're doing this The traditional order is a friend who is experiencing joy. So somebody that basically it would be easy to feel joy for. Someone that we know and love already, and they're experiencing joy. Something good is happening in their life. and So they they come first. And then the second category is a, a benefactor. Somebody that you know well that has been supportive. Often people choose a teacher or the author of a book that influenced them or... Um, somebody, you know, a, a kind neighbor or mentor that we have who we feel is supporting us. And then we would move on to a neutral person, somebody whom we don't know very well. Oh, may your good fortune increase. We may not know a specific good fortune that they have, but we imagine, you know, the post office person had something good happen to them in the last year or month or something, and so we can... Um, so we can be happy for them just for that. They have the same desire as we do for things to go well in their life. And then we move on to the advanced practice of a difficult person, um, somebody whom we have trouble with. Maybe as I should say a difficult relationship. So it's not that the person has a problem, um, but we, the in-between space between us is not comfortable right now. And so it's somebody that we feel challenged by. And so we wish, this is very hard, but if they have something good in their life, we wish that it would continue for them. Because why not? They're another human being. And then all beings. It's usually the last category. I went through those quickly because um, you can imagine that uh, I want to get on to the, to the what, what actually happens when we practice these. And what actually happens when we practice any of the Brahma Viharas or any good intention is that we tend to run into immediately the things in our mind that um, resist that. Sorry, that's just how it works, is that when we set out 
say, I want to develop more empathetic joy, I want to feel more appreciation, the first thing we have to do is to encounter the ways in which we don't experience that, because that's what's getting in the way of having it. So the practice often ends up being discovering what inhibits this, and it's not a mistake. So if you start feeling all the things that get in the way of that, it's not a mistake, you're not doing it wrong. Um, there's things to explore, and and looking at them directly, turning toward them, will help them fall away, and then we experience more of what we were aiming to develop. So I want to look a little bit at what blocks or gets in the way of mudita. As you can imagine, the most common enemy of mudita is envy or jealousy, envy and jealousy. So um, this comes from basically an, an error in how we're thinking about the situation. But you know, we think about our friend um, getting a really good job, and we think, mm. a little bit we think, yay, and a little bit we think, mm. <laughs> uh, how come I didn't get that? Or it's harder for me, it was so easy for them, and I've gone on 20 interviews and haven't gotten a job yet, or something. Um, we're focused on ourselves most of the time, and so envy or jealousy arises from that. Often, um, you know, we, we think that we have to get something or have pleasure or something else in order to be happy. And then, um, you know, we, we see that when somebody else gets that, we have an idea that there's a, what's called a zero-sum game. So if they have more, I'm going to have less. That's what gets in what's going on in the mind. It's the error in thinking that we have. And so um, it's kind of a nice expansion to remember that joy is not a zero-sum game. Actually, there would be enough joy for everybody. And it's, um, yeah, it's just not limited. I know jobs, there aren't an infinite number of them. But imagine if you could feel joy for somebody else's job, that would increase. And so there's a sort of a, a nice expansion when we open to others' happiness. And we can feel, actually, in ourselves, the sort of contraction around me when we're having a sense of, they shouldn't have gotten that, or why didn't I get that, or when will I ever get something like that. So that's the biggest block that we run into. And it may not be very evident if we're feeling pretty happy in our lives right now, um, but sometimes if we're in a state of a little bit of, you know, we're having a little dukkha in our life about not having something or something isn't going right, it's very hard to feel good when somebody else has that go right. And so this is just, I'm just warning you in advance to, to look for that. Another thing that, um, trying to practice mudita, another resistance that we can run into, is that um, we can have a, we can experience our own biases in our mind about what people should be joyful about. It's a funny thing. Like if somebody feels joy about something that we don't find interesting, and I'm a little reluctant to choose a particular example, but um, let's say like they like watching naked mud wrestling on TV, and for some reason you don't find that to be really joyful and, and interesting, and they're expressing a lot of joy around the fact that the, the big tournament is coming up, and they they know who all the participants are going to be, and they've already got it um, 
they've already figured out all the times it's going to be on and they've set aside time to watch it. And you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm practicing mudita, so I'm going to try to feel joyful about this also. But you just can't get excited about naked mud wrestling. You know, it's just not your thing. So, you know, this might be okay. I mean, it's not required that you feel other people's joy when you don't, um, you know, it's not your favorite thing. But you can notice if you have a little bit of a sense of arrogance, like my pleasures are more refined than their pleasures, you know. I like meditation. I think my idea of joy is that I would love to go on a 14-day meditation retreat, um, and they wouldn't be interested in that at all. And so then you have a little moment of thinking, you know, my joy is more refined than their joy. So watch out. (laughs) That can happen. Um, Yeah, so we can see prejudices in our own mind. But it is true that there are cases where people are feeling joyful about something, and... They appear to be joyful on the surface for it, but we can actually feel through our own intuitive sense, or if we have some mindfulness, we can feel that in the long run what they're joyful about is is actually going to bring them suffering. There can be cases where somebody's happy about something that's not wholesome, for example. Like, for example, they're happy that they got away with cheating on their taxes or something like that. And you know, okay, maybe they're, it's true, maybe they're not going to get audited and it'll be fine, but we know that that behavior is not good in the long run. And so, you know, it's reinforcing something in the mind that's not wholesome. And so they appear to be joyful, but we know underneath they're sowing the seeds of suffering. And so it might be that a more appropriate Brahma-vihara in that case is compassion, for example, for what, what they're doing. And so by noticing that the mudita was hard to feel, we could open to the realization that there's something else going on there. Now, you may or may not want to say anything. There's, a, there's nothing that says about how you should respond to that situation, but just it was nice to notice that the mudita was blocked, and then you were able to see that maybe compassion was more appropriate. So you don't need to feel joy every time. Sometimes when people practice mudita, they think that every time they experience joy in somebody else, they're supposed to feel joy also. You can get kind of a should or idealism or supposed to in there. It's not true. You don't have to feel joy for somebody else's joy. It's conditioned that you would feel that or not. But noticing if it's blocked, like noticing if you actually feel resistance to the idea of that, can help um, start to flush out some of the unskillful things in our own mind that might be blocking it, such as envy, such as conceit, um, these kinds of things. So investigating what blocks it is very fruitful, but you don't need to feel it. You don't need to feel like you've failed if you don't, if that doesn't come. And then I'll just mention that I was talking about this with a friend, and he said that um, for him, surprise is an element of being able to feel joy. I thought this was interesting. He said, well, when I, or conversely, expectations are a killer of joy for him. And so, um, for example, when he goes into a situation expecting, this is going to be really joyful, this is going to be so much fun, so pleasant, so happy, then if it actually is joyful in some way, then he says, oh, okay, good, that was pretty good. Um, whereas if he has the expectation it should be joyful and it isn't, then he's very disappointed. And so he's just realized it's better not to have any expectation. In a sense, you know, not that we can necessarily do that, but 
the times that he feels the most joyful are when something comes that he wasn't expecting or that um, he just wasn't thinking in advance about whether or not it would be joyful, and then it is, and he feels it more because it was not blocked by his cognitive sense of what should or shouldn't be happening. This is often true, by the way, is that our ideas about things are terrible killers of actually experiencing them fully. So Mudita also has what's called a near enemy. I talked about the enemy, the main enemy being envy or jealousy. That's what's called the far enemy. And then there's another quality that is called the near enemy, which means it looks like mudita, it looks like appreciative joy, but it actually isn't. Um, and we need to learn to recognize that. Um, and just for a more familiar example, in the case of compassion, for example, the near enemy is pity. So we sort of feel compassion for somebody, but we actually feel sorry for them. We actually feel superior to them, and they're down there and have this problem. Pity is a corruption of compassion, in a sense. So in the case of mudita, the thing that's close, but no banana, if you will, is called um, giddiness. And it's um, getting overly excited. You know, somebody feels happy, and we like fall into their happiness and totally kind of lose ourselves in the process. We lose our attention, I should say, because the irony is that it actually becomes about us when it's giddiness is kind of, we get so whooped up and hyped up by somebody else's, what we're really feeling is kind of our own attachment to that. And you've probably experienced this in some ways. It was times when something was sort of so joyful that we felt afterwards, looking back, I kind of went over the top there in getting excited about that. You get so excited that it's kind of not mindful anymore, not grounded. So giddiness or over-excitement. And then I want to um, want to end with another way that Mudita is talked about in the discourses, which is interesting in that, you know, most of what I've talked about is in the realm of daily life practice or formal meditation of sitting and saying phrases. Uh, it's, it's not always connected that mudita is part of the, directly part of the path to liberation. You know, it's often seen as a quality of the heart that we develop. It's something that's good for our relationships. But does it relate to you know, to the path that the Buddha described towards freedom, there's an interesting sutta called the Discourse on the Assemblies where the Buddha notes that liberation through altruistic joy is the start of a sequence that flows all the way to liberation. Um, it praises, it's the particular uh, discourse is about praising the harmonious assembly, what he calls the harmonious assembly. So I want to read a little bit. Um, this is would be in the style of the suttas. So those of you who have heard it before will recognize the style. So the Buddha says, what is the harmonious assembly? Here, the assembly in which the practitioners dwell in concord, harmoniously, without disputes, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with eyes of affection, is called the harmonious assembly. He's talking about an assembly of monks, but why not a lay community also? So when the practitioners dwell in this way, 
they dwell in the divine abode, that is, the liberation by altruistic joy. And then there's a nice analogy for our weather right now. Just as when it is raining and the rain pours down in thick droplets on a mountaintop, the water flows down along the slope and fills the clefts, gullies, and creeks. These becoming full fill up the lakes. These becoming full fill up the streams. These becoming full fill up the rivers. And these becoming full fill up the ocean. So too, when the practitioners dwell in this way, they dwell in the divine abode, liberation by altruistic joy. When one is joyful, rapture arises. For one with a rapturous mind, the body becomes tranquil. One tranquil in body feels pleasure. For one feeling pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated. And then it goes from there that concentrated mind sees things as they are and opens to liberation. So this whole sequence is about how liberation will arise naturally, like water flowing downhill when an assembly or a sangha is harmonious and has this free flow of mudita. So we begin by feeling joy in the group, and then the group settles down together, and it actually begins a process that can uh, lead to liberation if things flow and evolve correctly. So it's not a lightweight quality at all, feeling joy at somebody else's happiness or success. It might be the opening of the heart that leads eventually to tranquility, to deep happiness, to concentration, and to peace. So it's interesting. You may try exploring this quality. How happy can we feel for the happiness of others? Where is it blocked? Where is it difficult? What's getting in the way? In what situations is it easy to feel joy? And in what situations is it harder? Or in what situations do we feel envy? And where is all of this in the body? In order to really settle deeply on our experience. So mudita, one beautiful flavor of joy. And we'll talk about meditative joy next week. But I wonder if there are any questions or comments at this point. Yeah, Nicole. Well, the the comment that I wanted to make was uh, one time I was at a big dinner and this person was so amazing because he kind of taught us the joy of food. Uh-huh. And what was so amazing, the guest or the hostess brought out the lasagna and she set it on the table and he walked over there before anyone else could get to the table and with his hands he motioned like he was wafting the aroma uh-huh. of the meal towards his face and his nose. And it was such a dramatic movement uh-huh. and he was a kind of dramatic person and he was allowing us to to understand his joy of Uh the aroma of this beautiful food and the nourishment that this would give us all and to appreciate the the beautiful presentation and to appreciate the beautiful smell. Mm. And I had never thought of meals quite like that. And so his, his dramatic way of bringing attention to that and to bring awareness to that yeah. was so perfect because ever since then I've remembered him and I've remembered that evening and I've tried to 
bring that kind of joy to other things that I do. They may not be as, uh, I try not to be as spectacular as he was, but it's just that I enjoy the little things in life because he made me aware that it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. That's a beautiful example. Exactly. Yeah, exactly how to practice this. I, uh, I've got something uh, yeah. that relates. Uh, I, uh, I was involved in a, a process once years ago in a group um, place through these enlightenment intensives. Um, and um, I got drawn to it through word of mouth and I was able to participate in these things. They were just as a group and interacting one-on-one on a certain formal process for hours each day. It would be one day, 18 hours a day, and there would be walking meditation and various components. But but the bottom line was they'd be focusing on the question, who am I? for a certain period of time, and then they share with the partner what they came up with, with another portion of their time. And then they take turns, you know, for, <clears throat> for an hour at a time, and then you change partners and go through the process of something else throughout the day like this. It's like a marathon process. Well, at one point, um, the founder of this group, this organization, his wife said to me, she said, Hell, you know what she said? You've done quite a few of these uh, things, and I think uh, maybe what you need is a relating intensive instead of an enlightenment intensive. And that was this other thing they offered, and that was where she said, just by focusing on a different question with a partner, again, the process where we have the purpose of opening up the heart chakras and clearing the path of communication between yourself and others. Mm-hmm. And instead of having that vertical thing of trying to reach some uh, kind of awakening or realization. Um, so anyway, um, anyway, I'm just, I ended up doing this for a day, you know, eight, 18 hour, the normal process of the one day. And, uh, one of the main uh, insights I had, it was kind of a direct experience, which is what the purpose of this process. A lot of what you're sharing, I think, is similar in that regard. But, um, the main, uh, one of two insights that came to me, and I, I haven't had the opportunity to share it with others very often, but very simple and yet profound at the same time. And the one is our... Uh, Everything that that we do, that anyone does or doesn't do, you know, uh, omission or commission, you know, an act or an inaction, is just the desire to uh, give love or uh, receive love. Mm. Everything, you know, without yeah, giving or receiving love. And no matter how convoluted it might come out in the outward expression. Uh, you know, it might even be a murder, something as grotesque as a murder, uh, or something really, really uh, convoluted like that. But yet, underneath all that, was, it, 
got corrupted somehow along the way. But anyway, that was the one thing. It was more of a direct experience, like a flower, just um, like some layers of uh, covering, just going away, you know, disappearing, dissolving, and now suddenly yeah. just have this experience, you know, the self-evident, so, so simple and so obvious, but usually it's just camouflage. That's important in this practice, is to have that direct experience and really... Yeah. Feel that through your heart. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. And uh, and it was so nice because it was just such a natural unfolding. Yeah, na- yeah, like a, the water flowing down the hill, like I said at yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah. natural. Yeah. Beautiful. There was another uh, another one too, but it was a little a slightly different version of, uh, of joy. But uh, I don't know if you want to hear that one. Then I'll just write some other. Well, I, I'm happy that you felt you probably felt a lot of joy when you had that first insight, yeah. right? About the yeah. about the love. Yeah, well, so I, could I, feel, I could feel that opening of, of yeah. the heart, you know, that Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.